it leaves this mark on us. It, it becomes, I'm sorry, yes. My bad. Let's continue uh, on our, our study, our understanding of how <clears throat> the gospel leaves a mark on us. It becomes evident when people see us, when people experience us, that, that the gospel has affected us. It has changed us. It has done things to us. And we've been looking at how that works, how the gospel brings change, how it does things within us. We saw in Romans chapter 1 where it, it talks about this is the power of God at work in us. And it's at work at anybody and everyone. Am I still on? Okay. It's the, it's the power of God to, to do this and to influence and affect everyone who receives it. So, so the key is, it's for everyone. And that's what makes it easy to give it away, is we don't have to qualify anybody to get it. And it says, it becomes the power of God at work to change us and to make what's wrong inside us right, to change that from within. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 22 through 24 it tells us that the old self, and we're gonna, we see this theme over and over again, that the old self is corrupted, the old self is suffering, the old self is going away. And it, it makes no apology for not necessarily saving the old self, but what it does is creates the new self within us. And that new self is infantile in some ways. And so what it says is we are being renewed in the spirit of our mind. So our mind, as our spirit becomes new and is infantile, our mind has to be changed, has to be transformed from the old way to the new way. And scripture says that the spirit, the gospel, the good news, the word, these things are all at work from the inside out to bring this change, this renewal to our mind. Put on the new self, put off the old self. It's constant language. You could say that to yourself all day long. Put off the old self, put on the new self. Moment by moment, you see, that reality, that exchange has to be going on moment by moment because what we're beginning to do as we have the gospel inside us, as the spirit resides in us, we begin to have the opportunity, lay off the old self, take on the new self. Moment by moment, and we will see just how many times a day, hundreds and hundreds of times, that exchange has to, in, in some cases at the beginning, manually be done. It creates a righteousness that is new, and it is from within. It becomes real change, real transformation. In 2 Corinthians, we see in 5.17, it says, so... This, uh, anyone that has Christ is this new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. That theme continues on. And that theme, I think for many believers, isn't exactly real. Uh, the gospel is an add-on. We, we have our life and we install the gospel. That gives us forgiveness. We can suffer less with guilt. It maybe brings some moral change. It maybe brings some other change. But it, it doesn't get as drastic for most of us as 
putting off the old, taking on the new, intentionally embracing this change that God brings for us. In Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 12, we saw that the scripture calls us work hard to show the results of that salvation. So put into work, go into training, putting off the old, putting on the new, taking off the old, putting on the new, constantly looking, what is God bringing in the moment that's different and new? What is different and new that is available right now in every single moment? Every moment has new available because the gospel is in me. Every moment has new. And when we say new, it means that it's of God and it is of life. And it's available in every moment. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. We can say it like this. No longer copy the behaviors and the results of this world. No longer copy the way the world responds to change, the way the world responds to difficulty, the way the world responds to injustice, the way the world responds to disappointment or loss. No longer conform to the ways of thinking of this world, the ways of doing, the ways of action, the ways of being satisfied, the ways of being disappointed. Lay all those things aside. And it says, but let God transform you into a new person, into that new. You see how that transformation is not the red pill or the blue pill. That transformation is where you knowingly and willingly, in a place of obedience, you and I say yes to the new and we say no to the old. We lay down the old. We surrender the old. We deny the old. We say no to the old. And we say yes to the new. And we explore the new. We embrace the new. As foreign as it may feel, as foreign as it may feel in our soul, and it does feel foreign, the new and the full of life, you would think that would just be a natural connection for us. But it's not. It often is foreign. It's often uncomfortable. A, a movie I'm going to confess I like and if you want my resignation, we'll, we'll talk about it. But I love the movie Major Pain. It's just the coolest movie. Uh, some of my youth turned me on to that movie. And if you haven't seen it, um, you can rent it. And then you'll like it. And you'll be as guilty as I am. All right. So uh, Major Pain is a, is a major in the military. And he... Um, there's this little boy that um, I won't tell you how he saved him from the monster in the closet, the imaginary monster. But the kid came out and gave him this hug. And in the middle of this hug, the major kind of freaks out and he grabs the boy and he has him like he's going to snap his <laughs> neck. And, and he starts saying, are you plotting on me, boy? So he just totally twists this. I know you're thinking, come on, where are you going with this? All right. 
And this woman says, stop, he's just showing you love. He said, it made me feel all funny inside. I don't like it. I think we do that with God all the time. We struggle with the do very often. It is foreign. And God says, wait for it. You'll get to where it becomes the normal for you. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. By changing the way you think. So much of our battle is right here. It's how you think. It's what you think. How you think of you. How you think of the world, the church, politics, love, males, females, money, success. How you think. Let God change the way you think. You hear that? God says, why don't you let me change the way you think? Not change a thought. Not change how you see this or what you think about that. Let me change the way you think. Let me change the way you process information. Let me change the way all of that works in your mind. You see, I don't have to worry about what goes in and out if I change the way it happens once you get the information. We want to adjust the information so that all of it coming in is good. We want, we want a condition where all that happens is it hits you know, the good button. But what God wants to do is change our thinking so that the good button is no longer necessary. So that whatever comes in, whatever information, whatever events hits right here, what it hits is a way of thinking that is created and operated by God in such a way that what responds out of that is always the new and it's always life. You see, when we have that new way of thinking, the new way, the new process of thinking, then it says, then you will learn to know God's will for you. Then you will get it. You see, that way of thinking is now connected in the spirit with God. And all of a sudden, you're not trying to look at, okay, well, you know, I failed my test twice, so therefore, you know, God doesn't mean for me to be a lawyer or a welder, whatever it is you failed your test for. Well, you know, she said no when I asked her out, so I guess I'm supposed to be single the rest of my life. We we have these convoluted ways of trying to figure out our destiny based on feelings and events. But what if there was a new way where our confidence was in what the Spirit brings. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is always good, it's always pleasing, it's always perfect. 
What a wonderful way to live life. The theme continues for the people in Galatia. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He's, he's really identifying, Paul is sharing, this is how powerful we need and how seriously we need to take this casting off the old. In fact, what we can say is it was crucified with Christ. The old self was crucified. And the new self is invaded and it's full of Jesus to the point where you could say, Christ now lives this life. You see, the gospel teaches us to be different in every reality. It fits in every society, in every condition, every socioeconomic situation. So we came to this place the last two weeks of Philippians chapter 2 where we were talking about, you know, not complaining anymore, not arguing uh, this life where we don't criticize, where we uh, live differently. How would it be to do that? And how what this really represents is that idea that this new build, this new life, is really a development of new rhythms and new habits, a new core that operates differently, that fosters a different lifestyle that's always engaged with Jesus. That lifestyle that shows the mark. Where I want to take us today with this idea, when we're casting off the old, when we're bringing on the new, when we see this understanding of that the spirit, the gospel, the part that God sets inside us is here to teach and to train. It's here to teach and to train. And that that training is going on minute by minute. That, that training is now full time. And where I, and, and as I've been talking to people about this idea of taking the moment captive again, making sure that we are intentional about our, our, not only our actions in the moment, but our attitudes in the moment. I, I would say that one of the most important and critical aspects of living what anybody might call a successful life is their attitude. The attitude is going to be so critical in your own success. It's going to be critical in whether people like you. It's going to be critical in every part of your being. People are attracted to people with good attitudes. People like to be around people who have attitudes that are strong, attitudes that are positive, People enjoy positive people. Yet many of us feel no obligation at all to find a positive component to our existence every day. But we allow our circumstances to define 
is this day a good day or is this day a bad day? So often, our attitude is subject to and it is controlled by everything, often leaving us even at odds with our own beliefs. A definition for attitudes is, and this is just out of the dictionary, it's a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something, typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. Attitudes always show up. They always show up. And, you know, I I just pulled some of these things that you can see here. Uh, they affect our view, uh, a different way of saying that, our viewpoint, our outlook, our perspective, our stance, our standpoint, position, our inclination, our temper, our, our orientation, our approach, reflection, our opinion, our ideas, our convictions, our feelings, our thinkings, all of these things. Now, I want you to think about that list, how, how all-encompassing that is about how we live. It's all driven out of our attitude. It's all driven out of how we, our belief systems and and how we are settled in beliefs that we say are going to control the situation as opposed to our situation controlling our beliefs. You see, we, we, don't, we won't actually usually say that. We won't say, my situation's controlled by beliefs today, but we allow that to happen. That's what happens. In the moment, we're willing to embrace a different truth. When everything goes wrong that day, we're willing to suggest that, you know, I just don't know. I think God is mad at me. I don't know that I don't know that I'm experiencing the blessing of God. I don't know that that the blessing of God is, is real. You see, our truth can get distorted and get lost because our circumstances have prevailed, creating an alternate truth, even if we don't agree with it even if we don't, can't make it fit, even if we're not even trying to make that truth fit, the truth is that truth is in control in that moment. And it has captured our attitude, our perspective, our outlook has become created and controlled by a different truth. This is what makes our moments so incredibly important. And it's why moments have to be controlled from the core. It's why God is desiring that our core be transformed so that we're not having to override every moment. At some point, we get to a place where we don't have to have an override. If you could come. Uh, This is, uh, you know, Elizabeth, it's probably okay to say that worldwide. And I would like uh, for her to share just a moment event that she shared with me 
last week, Bill was talking about um, letting Jesus in the details of your life. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm, I have some OCD tendencies and I like everything planned out and start my day at looking at my plan. And um, My parents are getting older and their health is... Yeah, that... <clears throat> And, and when she got there, you see, her attitude had been transformed, all right, by her truth. Her attitude had been transformed by her truth. And so she could say these things with honesty. I'm glad I got to spend time with you. You see, then it's not sacrificial anymore. It's not a burden and that's what the gospel does. It, it changes our circumstances so that they no longer have the power to be a burden. And when they're not a burden, they're not sacrificial in the sense that we feel loss. And so as we, as we begin to look at the idea uh, that our attitude is so powerful, you know, when you when you listen to motivational speakers, and, and there are lots of them out there, and, and I think they're actually very good, and there are, there are pastors who spend much of their time discussing the power of a positive attitude, the power of positive thinking. I, I absolutely believe it's true. I absolutely believe it is true. I think it was invented by God. I think the scripture would declare those things to be true. And that's why they work. Now for them to work completely, God has to empower them. For them to work in his plan, he has to be a part of it. Because it's his purpose and his plan that are at work and that will be accomplished in this world. I, I would just become my own boss again. So I have a great power in my attitude. Um, there's a guy named Hal Elway who's a motivational speaker. He will say this, the most precious and the most valuable real estate on the planet for you is between your ears. It is the place where you can do the most work toward your own success, toward your, toward your own happiness and personal satisfaction. I believe that is absolutely true. In Ephesians 4, verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, the old self, to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and, and when we think of desires, we often think of ice cream or lust or, you know, bacon, whatever it is your illicit attraction is. You know, you can fill in your blanks for your deceitful desires. But what if we use the ones where, you know, somebody says something smart to us and we want to say something smart back? What about if somebody disses us and we want to diss them back? What about if somebody says something about us that isn't true and we want to put them in their place? 
What if somebody is a bully and I want to bully the bully? You see, these desires are deceitful. The reason they are deceitful is because they have the appearance of bringing justice. They have the appearance of setting accounts right. But Jesus would say, not only do they not do that, but that is not your job. It would be great for everybody to hear that. It is not your job to set accounts straight. It is not my job to set accounts straight. Whether I like that truth or not, it is not mine. It is my job to pursue and follow truth. It is my job to let the Spirit change my attitude toward people of injustice. It is my job to make sure that my truth is not surrendered so that I can do something I want to do in that moment. My job is to make sure that the new self operates my attitude and not my old self. That's the part I can play. That's where I train. That's where I grow. That's what the scripture would declare is maturity. That's maturity. Maturity is when my new self naturally operates my attitudes. And I can operate with an attitude of thanksgiving in the hardest situations. I can, I can operate with thanksgiving, I can operate with joy in every circumstance. I can operate with wisdom and grace in every circumstance. I can operate with mercy and love, every circumstance. There is no circumstance that I cannot operate like the power of Jesus, no circumstance. It is powerful when I immediately and naturally go to those places. You see, that's the mark. It's what it looks like on you and I. It's carried out in many different ways. In many circumstances, it's carried out. Tasha, please. <clears throat> so, you're sent down to the first floor. It turns out to be a fool's errand. You can't even find the coffee shop. Hope deferred. Nothing is going right. Why can't you just have a simple break? All the stress of your granddaughter being in this life-threatening surgery. Yet God has you on a journey. He has you on a journey. You see, it's, it's not a moment. It's never a moment to be frustrated. Because the gospel and the truth are always in play. And that's why it is always safe to have a positive attitude. It is always safe. It is never a fool's errand 
to be positive in your attitude toward your life, toward your family, toward your God, toward your world, toward your politics, toward your president, toward your government, toward everything. It is not wrong to have a positive attitude. That doesn't mean that any of those things are operating correctly. It doesn't endorse those things. It says that what you bring to the table is a new life and it is full of life. That's what you bring. And when you bring that, you've brought something of value for everyone. And it is God's gift to the world. And and maybe her granddaughter is in surgery But that little boy isn't. Now there you saw somebody that in their moment of a difficult situation still has the mark. Still has the mark of a gospel. Who is your God? Tell me about this God who heals little boys. And you see, when you can run that errand for God, when your daughter, your granddaughter is in surgery, then you can run the errand for God anytime. When you can do the, the, the errand for God there, you can do it anywhere. You're really one who can say, wherever you go, God, I will follow. And it becomes true. Because you've gone. You know, for Elizabeth, she had, she had her day, really. I mean, we have our day planned out. And it's an inconvenience when other things press in on it especially people. But if we let that challenge our attitude, we give up the most important part of our story with God and our story of success. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God, in this word there, um, it's really talking about the story of God. You could, you could use the gospel here. A theologian will argue this. It's the word rhema, which is normally, uh, not rhema, but logos, which is, normally we use that to talk about the Bible. But it really is about the nature, the purpose of God all wrapped up. For the word of God is alive and it's active. You hear that? It is alive. And it, it, is not, it is not dormant, um, it is active. And it talks about how sharp, how capable it is that it can penetrate even dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. Here's the key. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. If you want to change, if you want to be transformed, if you want those things that happened to you when you were a child, if you want those disappointments along the way, that spouse who left you for no reason, 
or the spouse you left for no reason. If you want those things to be able to terminate in a good way, you're going to need something that can go down inside you where the thoughts and the attitudes come from. You see, God puts that in you and I. So when I can't stand certain things, or there are certain things that just set me the wrong way, or there are certain people I cannot tolerate, or there are certain things. You see, what God is saying, when you say, I can't, or the, not with those people, anytime you have these limitations, what God is saying to you is, you need to let me reveal to you where the thoughts and attitudes are coming from. You see, we normally just consider that, at a person here, a leader at our church years ago, and, and I was new here, and this person said, um, you know, love you and everything, but uh, whatever you do, don't ever lie to me. Don't you ever lie to me. Or what? What, what if I do? What happens? What kind of a statement is that? What kind of a warning is someone giving me? Let me ask you, does that sound old self or new self? Can you see Jesus saying that? Whatever you don't, you ever lie to me. Ever, ever, ever lie to me. I mean, we lie to him, and we know he knows the truth. And we still lie to him. Well, he had it coming, God. I hit him, but he should have had his lights on. I didn't see him. You know, we, we always can mess with truth. You see, in the moment, those should be flags for us. When we see places where we just can't come to joy, where we just can't experience peace, where we can't find that transformation, it's a red flag. Don't take that as your personality. Certainly don't justify it that, you know, this situation demands that of you. Make your attitude your top priority. It's a top priority. And make sure that the new life has complete access and control in your attitude. 1 Corinthians 10, 15. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You see, that's saying we know what the truth is, and anything that is not subservient to that truth, anything that is not aligned with that truth, anything that does not support that truth, we will take it captive. We will take it down. 
It will have no voice in me. That's how serious we need to take action at what our attitude is being controlled by. That's a moment-by-moment thing, see? Take every thought, take every intention, take those things captive. Do not let those things that are adverse to your new life have a voice, have a yearning. Don't give them anything. And finally, Romans chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that through you, used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey, listen to this, from your heart, the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You see, that teaching, it's describing a completion where the teaching of the gospel... The teaching of the Spirit has now taken root to a place where it is now your own heart pattern. And it's in that place that our heart obeys because it's our heart's identity. It says, you have now been set free. Wow. The process has had some completion. Does that mean we're perfect? No. But it means that we are wise enough that every thought we are taking captive, every persuasion, everything in every moment is subject to the new life. And that leaves a mark. I mentioned a guy named Hal Elrod. He wrote a book called Miracle Morning. And I know that... um, In many disciplines of Christianity, we talk about starting our morning with God. You know, it's the best way to do it. And then others talk about ending their day with God. That's the best way to do it. Your sleep will be better. And then the idea that your morning will be better, your day will be better, your sleep will be better. And then you have all these methods and models. Um, uh, Hal Elrod looks at it kind of the same way. Why don't you start your day setting your attitude for success. And, um, and he has these five points that I'm going to give you because I think they're very good and I think they're biblical, not because he makes them biblical, but just because they are. So he says, start your day off because start off this time, your day, with your, with your focus and your attitude going in the right direction. Remember, be, do, and have. You must be positive and then do the right things to have slash get what you want. To be enthusiastic, you must decide to be enthusiastic. You must, uh, it says, to fake it till you make it. I, I think there's better language than that. But that's what the scripture tells us to do. Remember the truth. Remember what freedom from sin is. Remember that the old self is gone. Take a positive attitude toward that. So often we look at giving up the old self as this this sacrificial dying to self. We emphasize the dying to self and not the living. Oh, I don't have to die to self today. I got to do this. 
wow, I certainly want to follow you. But we should have a positive attitude about every day. We should look at our day knowing that it was ordained by God, it was created by God. I'm set into this day with a purpose, with a reason that is divine. I mean, it is divine for me and you to be here today. It, it has a, a plan. It's part of the orchestrated part of God's work. And so look at your day with a positive attitude and don't let anything take it away. Mike and I were working on a, some plumbing issues at a house up in Houston. And, you know, about the sixth time you have to go to the parts house in one day, you know, to get one more part. Um, I, I have to tell you, that's, that's my pet peeve. If there's anything that can just take the air right out of my sail, it's you get there, you work 10 minutes, you have to go to the parts house and get a part. That takes you an hour. You come back, you work 10 minutes, so you need another part. By the end of the day, what you've really done is driven around a lot. <clears throat> you know, you haven't even necessarily spent a lot of money. You just haven't accomplished anything, but you feel like you've worked hard at doing nothing. You see, I have to grab that. I cannot let that define my day. I can't do it. I have to start looking at the girl that I've seen at Home Depot like four times. I know her kids' names, you know. Um, I, I have to realize I'm in play. I'm not on a fool's errand. I'm in play. You know, Tasha, when she went downstairs looking for the Starbucks and never finding it, she was in play. And even if I don't know what's happening, I don't know when it's happening, I don't know how it's happening, I need to be respectful of the moment I'm in play. Because if I'm wasting my time, I'm miserable. It's a positive attitude, folks. Decide to be enthusiastic. You see, the gospel gives you a real reason to be enthusiastic. Number two, shift and the world shifts with you. Decide today um, is going to be an awesome day. Expect it to be awesome. <laughs> he says, sit in a field of positive expectation and wonder what great things is going to happen next. You know, that's a kingdom statement. Without the kingdom, I would feel uncomfortable with that statement. That's a kingdom statement. I, in, in the gospel, I have every legitimate reason to embrace today, to be awesome, to see myself in a field of positive expectation. And that is not a fool. That's me. That's you. That's what the kingdom looks like and feels like. And that is a mark of the kingdom. The scripture says it like this. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When something less than fantastic, this is number three, when something less than fantastic happens, you can respond or react. 
Choose to respond in whatever way is appropriate. Then press the reset button on your attitude. Or I say, return to joy. Let the new self take the controls. Let the new self decide how to respond. Return to joy. Jesus, let's respond to this setback, and we're returning to joy. Number four, dedicate yourself daily, hourly, to expanding the scope of your positive attitude. Look for things to bring into the redemption of the moment. God is redeeming. He's redeeming all things. Don't don't settle for, okay, already not yet kind of day. I'm having more not yet than already. Maybe tomorrow will be better. Today. Put everything you've got into today. Everything. Play every card you have that today comes out perfect in your attitude. Worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Play everything you've got because what's in play is right now. Because when we surrender the moment, it's easy to surrender the day. When we surrender the day, then we wait to see if tomorrow's a better day to be extraordinary. And it never is. We live a life of mediocrity. We live a life talking about kingdom things, and, and, but living lives that are subjective. There's no mark. There's no peace. There's no joy. There's just job and family and make some money and some disappointments and some excitement, some barbecue on a weekend. You know, maybe you got that boat. Maybe you didn't. But at the end of the day, it's mediocrity. Finally, daily, think positive, read positive, listen positive, talk positive, affirm positive, watch positive, practice positive, make yourself positive. What did it say? Take every thought captive, every persuasion. These, These five points have biblical power. biblical potential. When the people of God are taking every fallen thing and speaking redemption into it, calling redemption out of it, then the world will see the mark. Thank you, Jesus.